0: I want to start teaching a new book of the Bible beginning this week. That's the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last prophetic book in the Old Testament. Uh, written, obviously, by the man named Malachi. His name means my messenger. It's related to the Hebrew word malakim. Malakim is the Hebrew word that has to do with angels or messengers. Malak being singular, malakim being plural. Sometimes this book is called A Minor Prophet, I don't necessarily like that designation, major and minor prophets. Uh, Not that it's entirely incorrect, but it kind of places in people's minds as though there are some prophetic books that are more important than others. And Malachi is not called a minor prophet because he's less important than, let's say, like Isaiah or Jeremiah. They would be a major prophet, but simply because their books are longer. Their prophetic utterance is more lengthy than Malachi. Malachi's a total of four chapters, and Isaiah is a total of 66 chapters, so that's why he's called a major prophet in Malachi, a minor one, but they're both equal because they're both, in both of them, is contained the utterances and the words of Yahweh. The book of Malachi actually isn't just the last prophetic book in order in our Bible, but it is actually the last prophetic book of the Old Testament Scriptures. It really is. When you date the book of Malachi, you'll see that he wrote this prophecy around the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This was a time when the house of Judah were released from Babylonian captivity. They spent about 70 years in Babylon. Anybody can tell me why the house of Judah went into captivity in the first place. Idolatry, yeah, you could sum it up all in the word sin. They went there because they transgressed Yahweh's laws. And in fulfillment of Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28, Yahweh had already told the Israelites, if you disobey me and you go after other gods, I'm going to send you into the hands of foreign nations. That's exactly what happened. The house of Israel went into Assyrian captivity and the house of Judah into Babylonian. Well, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, this is when the Judahites, the house of Judah, came back from Babylon and dwelt back in their own land. And they began to rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. They had a little bit of uh, opposition while doing so, but they were able to rebuild those walls and Nehemiah and Ezra wanted to restore the people of Israel to a righteous following of Yahweh's ordinances, Yahweh's laws. Malachi wrote his book, most scholars say, probably around the second or third generation of Judahites after coming back from that captivity. And Malachi wrote his book to give a lot of rebuke. We'll see that here in just a second. There were people during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah that were very complacent in their relationship with Yahweh. That happens then, and it happens now. People that just, you know... Don't really care about serving Yahweh. It's not like it's just something now. No, it even took place then. People get what the scripture calls at ease in Zion, and they think that, well, I can just come to church and everything's going to be okay. And that's not how it works with Yahweh. You are not, I should say it like this you are not under the promises of Yahweh if you don't obey Him. You have to be obedient. He rewards obedience. He doesn't reward complacency. He rewards obedience. And as long as you're up under the obedience of Yahweh, you're up under his promises. And he will fulfill those promises to you when you obey. The people at Ezra and Nehemiah's time, a lot of them were very, very complacent. They weren't being obedient. And Malachi gives a lot of stern rebukes to the people of that time, rightfully so. We begin by going to verse 1. In Malachi 1, it says, An oracle, the word of Yahweh to Israel through Malachi. The word oracle here translated in the King James Version as the burden of the word of Yahweh to Malachi. And the word's often translated as burden in the King James. But it carries with it this meaning. This is not going to be positive. That's what it means. That at first sounds kind of, kind of harsh. But when it comes from Yahweh, we want the discipline of Yahweh in our life. It's a bad thing if you do sin and the discipline of Yahweh is not in your life. That's an evidence that you're not his child. Because he's a great father and all of his children he disciplines. If you can run wild, he's not disciplining you. He's just letting you go. But when you feel the burden of Yahweh, when you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, be very thankful because he disciplines those that he loves. So Yahweh's going to speak a word of rebuke here to the people of Israel. Notice it's the oracle, the word of Yahweh to Israel. It's a word where Yahweh is going to tell them, look, you guys are going down the wrong path. You need to straighten your act up. You need to serve me. You need to believe me. You need to follow me. It's kind of similar when the book of Proverbs talks about he that spares the rod hates his son. A lot of people have it backwards in the politically correct movement today, postmodernism teaches that if you don't, if, or if you use the rod, then it's hatred to your children. But the scriptures teaches the opposite of that. A lot of times when man teaches one thing, just believe the direct opposite and you'll get the truth. A lot of times that doesn't always pan out. But he that spareth the rod, he that doesn't use the rod, that's the man that hates his son. But he that loves his son disciplines him. In due times, the proverb says. And even though children at a small age... Cannot understand that. That's the love of a father. The love of a mother. When there's discipline in the life of a child. That's love. And it's not always with the spanking. I believe in spankings. But it can be in just discipline by words, by you know, getting serious with your children and telling them, well, that's what Yahweh is doing here through the prophet Malachi. He's saying it's time to get serious. I'm going to give you a word that's going to be negative. But notice, it's not because Yahweh doesn't love Jacob Israel. It's actually because he does love Jacob Israel that he gives them this word. There were many nations, one that we're going to talk about here in a second, that did not get these oracles from Yahweh. They didn't receive them. You know why? Because Yahweh didn't love them like he loved Israel. He didn't deal with them like he dealt with Israel. When Israel sinned, Yahweh disciplined, rebuked, and told them what to do. But when nations like the Philistines or the Canaanites or the Edomites sinned, Yahweh just let them run rampant because they were not his people. He didn't choose them. Verse 1 also mentions how that this word of Yahweh to Israel comes through by means of Malachi. And although this is titled the book of Malachi, we have to understand that Malachi and all of the prophets are only instruments in the hands of Yahweh. I like what one preacher said about the book of Acts one time. Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. More correctly understood, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. The Apostles would not have any gifts if it were not for the Spirit of Yahweh, the power of Yahweh, and Malachi would not have a prophecy if it were not for the word of Yahweh that came through by means of Malachi. Malachi was not the cause, he was the instrument that Yahweh spoke through. Yahweh is the one doing the speaking here in this book. But he often uses means to perform his work here on earth. You may show someone something in this book, or many books of the Tanakh, of the Old Testament. And they may respond, well that's just the words of man. Anybody ever had somebody tell them that before? That's the words of man. It's not just the words of man. It's the words of Yahweh through his spokesman, like Malachi. Apostle Peter informs us in his book in the New Testament epistles, 2 Peter 1, verses 20-21, through that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. So many people I've heard misuse that verse and you try to explain to them the true interpretation of the Bible, and they immediately come back at you and say, but it's not of any private interpretation. And that's because they've heard a preacher say that that probably didn't know what it meant to start with. And he's told it to somebody else, and instead of them going back and checking it out, they went with his understanding, and then they're spurting out this nonsense that you cannot interpret the Bible. The Bible is meant to be interpreted. It's meant to be interpreted hermeneutically correctly, yes, but it is meant to be interpreted. What this text in 2 Peter means is this, is that when Malachi wrote, he wasn't writing his own interpretation. He wasn't telling you what Malachi thought. He was telling you what Yahweh carried his hand along to write. Peter says no one spoke by their own interpretation. He goes on to say in verse 21 of 2 Peter chapter 1, instead of that, moved by the Holy Spirit Men spoke from God. When you read the book of Malachi, you're reading the voice of Yahweh. When you read the book of Isaiah, you're reading the voice of Yahweh. These prophets are just obedient vessels in the hands of Yahweh. That's why anybody that gets saved today gets saved because of the power and the Spirit of Yahweh. He does it through the preaching of the Word, But it's not the preacher that does the saving. The preacher is just a vessel. He's just an instrument in the hands of Yahweh. And Yahweh uses the preaching of the word to save people. But it's him that's doing the saving. And it's him that's doing the speaking here. And that's why you see the prophets often say, Thus saith Yahweh. If you're reading this version, it says the declaration of Yahweh. Get that in your mind. Take note before we move on in the book that when you read Malachi, you're reading the voice of Almighty Yahweh. It's not the voice of a man. He's just the instrument. Verse 2. He says, I have loved you, says Yahweh. But you ask, how have you loved us? was it Esau Jacob's brother? This is Yahweh's declaration. Even so, I love Jacob. Yahweh here says specifically that he loves these people of Israel. In specific, it's the house of Judah that's being talked to here. But they ask, how do you love us, Yahweh? Now, throughout this book, we're going to see a very prideful attitude of the people of Judah as a whole. Yahweh's done so much for them, yet they fail to see what is right in front of their noses. And in this case, Yahweh says, I have loved you, yet they cannot see the love that Yahweh has had for them. And imagine, that's a very, very cocky response to give to Yahweh. Imagine if He told you, I have loved you. And we respond. Well, how have you loved me? Very, very prideful attitude. This is what Judah's doing here. How have you loved us? We do the exact same thing today in the lives that we live. Yahweh loves you and He blesses you. He even blesses sinners. Anybody that wakes up, we take for granted that when we go to bed at night that it's an automatic that we're going to wake up in the morning. But it's not an automatic. Yahweh is the one that allows us to take that breath of life each and every morning anew, afresh. always the one that sends rain on us when we need rain. He's the one that makes the sun shine on us when we need the sun to shine. He does this always, even to sinners in the world. More so, even to His people that He that he loves dearly as a parent-to-child relationship. Yahweh says, I've loved you. And we look at Him and we say in our mind, where have you loved me? I've blessed you. And we say, where have you blessed me? It's because... We overlook the ways that Yahweh loves us and the ways that Yahweh blesses us when we should not. Simple blessings. I won't even say simple. I say they're simple in man's mind. But they're of great importance. Think about right now as I speak how Yahweh has blessed you. If you have good friends, Do you have somebody that you can really count on? That's a blessing from Yahweh. Good children. Healthy kids. That's a blessing from Yahweh. We're all going to go home tonight. We're going to walk into a house. That's a blessing from Yahweh. Yahweh says, I've blessed you. You're just not paying attention. If you got a good wife or a good husband, it's a blessing from Yahweh. Wherein have you loved us, Yahweh? In all these ways, Yahweh says, I've loved you. We don't need to be taking the blessings for granted. We don't need to be taking our health and our home and our food and our clothes for granted. There are ways in which Yahweh loves us, son. There are ways that Yahweh blesses us. And we need to be thankful for his blessings. If we're alive today, it's because he's had grace on our life. If we didn't die today and we're still here, it's because he did not allow that to take place. These are the ways that Yahweh loves and blesses us. And he has loved and he's blessed Jacob Israel abundantly in this text. But yet they look at him with a very cocky attitude and they say, Where have you loved us, Yahweh? Well, Yahweh goes on to remind him that the way that he loved him was this. He said, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Even so, I love Jacob. And the beginning part of verse 3 says, but I hated Esau. So Yahweh goes on to remind the Israelites about Esau, the brother of Jacob. And if you remember back with me to this birth, Isaac, the son of Abraham, got a wife in Genesis 24 named Rebekah. They conceived and Rebekah became pregnant with two sons in the womb, they were twins. One of them was be later named at birth, Esau. That name meant hairy. My Bible said as I was reading today, he came out hairy like a fur coat. I was like, man, whoa. You know, that's weird. Okay, most babies don't come out hairy like a fur coat. <laughs> but this baby did, so they named him, really, they named him Harry, is what they named him. H A I R Y. <laughs> That's what the name Esau means in Hebrew. Well, then Jacob comes out next, but he's grabbing on to to Esau's heel. And so they name him Jacob, which means to hold the heel. Supplanter, heel catcher. My sons like to call him trickster Jacob, because he was. But Yahweh says, was not Esau Jacob's brother? Twin brother? And even before these twins were born even before they had done anything good or bad. Yahweh said, the older one will serve the younger one. Usually, it's the younger one that serves the older one. It's the older one that receives the birthright. And we know that Esau did receive the birthright. But he sold it for a bowl of red soup, which is also why he's called Edom, in the Bible, the word Edom means red, and that's where the origin of that is. Genesis twenty-five thirty. Because he sold that birthright there, you know, for a mess of the red stew. And who got the birthright? Jacob, Israel. Jacob, later named Israel, got the birthright. He was the younger. That's not normal for the younger one to get the, the birthright. But even before they were born, Yahweh had already said. They had not done anything good or bad. But so that the purpose of Yahweh, according to election, might stand, according to Romans 9. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And that's just not talking about the nations from Jacob and Esau. That's part of it. But it's also talking about the individual Jacob and the individual Esau, from which stem the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. Yahweh says, was not Esau your brother, yet I loved you? And I looked over and I hated Esau. Both of them came from the loins of Isaac. But Yahweh only chose one of those sons. And he went over the other one. He passed over the other one. Esau passed over him. Yahweh's trying to tell him, look, I loved you. I chose you. I didn't choose Esau. A lot of people try to get around the text when it says that Yahweh hated Esau. Some people are taught that Yahweh only loves and he doesn't hate that's not true. This text by itself would prove that. There's other ones that do so. Psalm 5.5 says he hates all workers of iniquity. Not just the sin, but he also hates the sinner. How many have ever heard that he, he hates the sin but he loves the sinner? That's not true biblically. You couldn't even have sin if it wasn't for sinners. <laughs> Psalm 5.5, he hates all workers of iniquity. He, he destroys them at the end if they're unrepentant. Because they don't love Yahweh. And it's just because that's what they deserve. So Yahweh hates Esau. He hates Esau. This word hate is used in the Bible. It's the Hebrew word saneh. It's used often to denote exactly what it denotes in the English. Hatred, for instance, is used in Genesis 37.5 of Joseph's brother's feelings toward him when he claimed to have dreams from God. Joseph got dreams from God and his brothers hated him all the more. What do you think that means? It means they despised him. They didn't think kindly of him. They even threw him into a well sold into the Ishmaelites for 30 pieces of silver. Well, that's some brothers for you, isn't it? That's what they did to Joseph. That's the hatred. Leviticus 19.17 Yahweh commands us not to hate our brother in our heart. What do you think the word hate there means? It means hate. Don't have disdain for your brother in your heart. Deuteronomy 12.31 The word is used to speak of Yahweh hating all sorts of abominations. It says, all these abominations I hate. Same Hebrew word. And it's also used in this very book, one other time, in Malachi 2, verse 16, where it states that Yahweh hates putting away. Some translations say divorce. We'll get to that text at a future time in a future lesson. But it talks about Yahweh hating a particular thing. And when examining the Hebrew word, it appears that one cannot come to any other conclusion but that the word has to do with a dislike and a disdain for someone or something else. Some people have attempted to get around what Yahweh says here by saying that the word hate simply means to love less. And if you define the word as to love less, which I think that is one definition for the word, you do not get rid of the quote-unquote problem that you have with the biblical theology. See, Because Yahweh still loves one person more than the other one. You have heard it said, not of old but of new, that Yahweh loves everybody. And that's not true. Now, Yahweh does not show a respecter of persons, but that's specifically talking about in a court of law in judgment. If a rich man and a poor man have to present a case, the rich man doesn't go off free because he can pay off the judge. With Yahweh. No, Yahweh doesn't respect the rich man over the poor man. That's what those passages of Scripture is talking about. But there are people in the Bible and groups of people in the Bible that Yahweh loves more than others. This is why He's called the God of Jacob in the Psalms. All through the Old Testament, He's called the God of Israel. Why do you not see Him being called the God of Esau? Or the God of the Canaanites? It's because they're not His people. But the Israelites were and are. Jacob, I've loved. But Esau, I've looked over. I've hated. And that's exactly how, what I said before, how Yahweh hated Esau. He let him do everything that he wanted to do without discipline. When Jacob Israel committed sin, Yahweh would discipline. He would use the rod. Why? Because he loved his son. But Esau wasn't his son. That's why he let him run wild without any discipline. Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, or as the Aramaic Targum says, I have rejected. The Aramaic Targums give the meaning of the Hebrew text, anciently an ancient meaning of the Hebrew text. I have rejected Esau. I have looked over him. I, did, I chose Jacob, but I didn't choose Esau. People tend to have a problem when it comes with the free will of Almighty Yahweh. We act like we're the only beings who can make choices and that Yahweh doesn't have that ability. To me that's very very discouraging when I hear when I hear somebody talking like that that we're the only ones that can make choices. We think that Yahweh cannot choose to save one and pass over the other based upon his free will. We actually people actually think that Yet, it is Yahweh's will that is freest of all. But people don't like that because people like control. They like to have the preeminence, even so, over Yahweh. But listen, any time your will butts up against Yahweh's, you will lose every single time. You will never overpower the free will of Yahweh. Never. It's impossible. Now this is why sometimes, I know this is not taught often in Christianity, but it's biblical. This is why a lot of times that we pray for certain things, but they don't happen. It's because it wasn't Yahweh's will. And we might think that something needs to happen this way, but Yahweh knows better. Yeshua understood this. We don't a lot, but Yeshua did. He said in the garden there, he said, "Father, if it's possible, I want you to let this cut pass from me. But, but ultimately, not my will, but Your will be done." What was he recognizing? He was recognizing that Yahweh ultimately makes the decisions. Sometimes we might pray for somebody to get get well in their body; they're sick, but they might die with a disease, and we wonder, well, what, you know, why did that happen? And I'm not here to tell you I have all the answers, but I am here to tell you that nothing happens outside of the will of Yahweh. Nothing. He does whatever He pleases to do, the psalm says, in heaven above and earth beneath. When a tornado comes, it didn't catch Him by surprise. When Hurricane Katrina happened, it wasn't as though Yahweh was sleeping and He didn't know about it. And that Mother Nature caused that to take place. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. Yahweh can alter the nature or the will of a person or persons and make them desire or not desire something or some things. You remember the story in Genesis 20? There was a king of Gerar named Abimelech. Abraham thought he was going to do something sneaky and tell Abimelech that Sarah was his sister because he was afraid that if he said she's my wife, something bad is going to happen. So he tells Abimelech, king of Gerar, she's my sister. So Abimelech, because Sarah was a beautiful woman, he takes her into his home, into his harem, so to speak. And Yahweh wakes this man up in the middle of the night and tells Abimelech. That's Abraham's wife he got sleeping here. He says, okay. And Yahweh then says in Genesis 20, I think it's verse 6, He says, but I, Yahweh speaking, I have kept you from sinning. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. You mean Yahweh? Yahweh kept that man from sinning. We don't like that because we think Yahweh doesn't have the power to violate our free will, but He does. Scripturally, He does. Yahweh said, if you keep my laws, this is in the book of Exodus. He said, if you and Israel, if you keep my commandments... When you go to Jerusalem to keep the feasts, I will enlarge your borders and I will cause the enemy not to come and ravage your property. Now there's a lot of wickedness in the world today and there was a lot of wickedness in the world back then. But it takes a sovereign Yahweh to alter the mind of an enemy to not come to an Israelite's property. That's the mighty one that I serve. I do not serve a mighty one that people sneak up on and that he doesn't know something. That's That's not a mighty one. It's a weak one. If I want to serve somebody that doesn't know everything and doesn't have all power, I'll serve a man. My God's not like that. He can alter people's minds. Ezekiel 36 says he can change people's hearts. He has the freest will of all. Yahweh, brothers and sisters, has the right to choose one and to not choose the other, that's his right. I taught my daughter Morgan. She brought some little paper things that she had made one time. And she said, Dad, what do you think I should do with these decorations? I said, well, they're beautiful, honey, but I wanted to teach a lesson. Something came to mind. I said, you know what? I'll let you make that decision because you created them. So you decide what you to do with them. If she wanted to throw one of those away, she could throw it away. If she wanted to keep one and hang it up on a wall, she could do that because she was the creator of those creations. And Yahweh was the creator of Jacob and he was the creator of Esau. And he chose one and he passed over the other one. Somebody says, well then, why or how could Yahweh find fault with Esau then? And Apostle Paul deals with this in Romans chapter 9. He knew that that question would be asked. And he says, Who are you to talk back to Yahweh? Can the thing that is formed say to him that formed it, Why have you made me thus? Does not the potter have the power over the clay to make one vessel unto honor and the other unto dishonor? And I don't know if you've ever watched a potter work on a piece of clay. It's beautiful when he does it. You can watch it there on YouTube. He builds this beautiful vase. And it's spinning around. And as he's building it, he's taking certain pieces of that clay and he's dropping them to the side because he's the potter. And that's clay. That's the picture that Yahweh gives of his sovereignty over our quote unquote sovereignty that we think that we have. Clay pots don't talk to the potter and say, I want you to make me like this. No, they don't choose. Yahweh chooses. He says, I chose Jacob, but I didn't choose Esau. Verses 3 through 4, it says, But I hated Esau. I turned his mountains into a wasteland and gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. Now, this verse comments further for us on just how Yahweh hated Esau. Notice he did not deal with Esau. He turned Esau's mountains into a land of waste and he gave his inheritance to the desert jackals. That's actually Hebrew parallelism. That's the same thing said in two different ways. Mountains into a wasteland is equivalent with inheritance. Mountains and inheritance is the same. Wasteland is equivalent with giving it over to desert jackals. Basically, he's saying, look, I just made a ruin of what Esau had. I looked over and I gave you, Israel, many, many things. Verse 4, though Edom says we have been devastated, but we will rebuild the ruins, Yahweh of hosts says this, they may build, but I will demolish. Now here Esau is called by that name of Edom, which goes back to Genesis 25-30. Notice again here, the free will of Esau, the free will of Esau versus the free will of Yahweh. Esau says, we'll rebuild. Yahweh says, you might, but I'm going to tear it down. If Yahweh wants to tear down a city, nobody can stop him. It bothers me so bad when people present a theology with this little weak, pitiful, limp-wristed God. That doesn't know things and can't do things and can't save and can't glance over some people and choose others. That just bothers me. I'm sure it would have bothered the prophet Malachi. Esau said, well, we'll rebuild the cities. Even though it's a wasteland. Even though there's desert jackals jumping around everywhere. where we got land. We'll rebuild. He always says, you might. But I'll tear it down. I'll bring about devastation because you're not my children. Verse 5. Or excuse me, the end of verse 4 says, They will be called a wicked country, and the people that Yahweh has cursed forever. Some Bible say the people that Yahweh's anger, he's angry with forever. You mean Yahweh gets angry? Absolutely. Psalm says he's angry with the wicked every day. Amen? But some people Yahweh's anger with, some people Yahweh's cursed. This text says he cursed Esau, Edom, forever. Verse 5, your own eyes will see this. He's speaking to Israel again now. Your own eyes will see this and you yourselves will say, Yahweh is great even beyond the border of Israel. So Yahweh tells the Israelites that their own eyes will look and see this take place and it will show them that Yahweh is powerful even outside of the borders of Israel. Yahweh's actions will prove just how he loves Jacob because he continues to deal with them because he doesn't change his mind later on in Malachi we'll see. Yahweh loves Jacob in that way. He made a promise to their father, Abraham. And he's not going back on that oath. He'll continue to love Jacob. He'll continue to love Israel. But he'll continue to hate Esau. There are some people and groups of people that Yahweh loves and that Yahweh chooses. But there's other people and groups of people that Yahweh does not love. And Yahweh has not chosen. And that's His business. It's not ours. And I don't believe it because I just want to. If you ask me in my own humanity, I don't want to believe that. But because it's biblical, that's why I believe it. And I pray that I'm one of the ones that Yahweh chooses and that He loves. I do. And I'm not going to sit on my rear end and say, well, Yahweh, if you chose me, then hey, make me do this, make me do that. No, that's not how it works. If He chose you, if He loves you, you'll be a person of action. You'll be a person of faith. You'll be a person of works. You'll be a person whose free will does what is righteous and does what is just. If Yahweh chooses you. I know it's a hard pill to swallow to think that Yahweh hates, because we wonder, well, why have we been taught contrary to that? But when you look at the texts of Scripture, the Scriptures are so very, very clear that Yahweh does have hatred. It's a holy hatred. So in conclusion, if we have the mindset that Yahweh is not all-powerful, that He doesn't have the right to choose one and not the other, allow one people to build and to flourish, but allow the other to build and then He comes in and He demolishes, then we need to repent from that thinking. If that's the type of Mighty One that's been in your mind, or that's in your mind, Yahweh has to deal with you on this, but I want to urge you, you need to repent from thinking that way about Yahweh. Yahweh doesn't want you to think untrue thoughts about Him. And a lot of of times people serve a God of their own mind. They come to church and they serve a God that they've made up in their mind, that their parents or grandparents might have taught them about, and when they read texts of Scripture like this, it makes them upset because they are not really serving the God of Scripture, but they're serving another God, even though they, they call upon even maybe the name of Yahweh or use God and Lord or things like that. But they're only serving Him in this way. He's what I think that He is. But when they read and they find out how He really is, they don't want to serve Him. If you think that way about Yahweh, if you think that He's not all powerful and He doesn't have the right to, to choose and to not choose, you need to repent of that. Yahweh's not honored by thinking that way about him. He's honored when we think, think about him the way that the Scripture teaches. That's when he gets honor. And he's a great king. And we need to seek to honor him, not just with our actions and with our, with our words, but even with our thoughts, and even with our theology. And theology in this area does matter. How you feel about Yahweh's sovereignty will matter in other areas as you study the Bible. It will. So let's repent of that type of thinking if that's what's been going on. We don't serve a weak and a limp-wristed, quote-unquote, mighty one who bows to the will of man. No, Yahweh doesn't bow to the will of any man. Man bows to the will of Yahweh. We serve one who is almighty and one who has the power to do as he pleases. That includes loving some redemptively and not loving some in a redemptive way. It includes that. Next week we'll continue in the book of Malachi and learn a lot more. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer.